Mr. Trump, you want to meet him. I love you, Trump. <laughs> Nobody use any racial slurs. Nobody call me the N word. It's microaggressions. He does not support Mexicans, not Jews, not Muslims, not Blacks. No one but his own kind. The rich. When Trump says we'll lose our country, that's not just a. I mean, maybe he's being a little extreme. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Jacob Weisberg. If it sounds like we're coming to you today from an abandoned office, it's because we are. Today's Slate's last day in our old office in the West Village. We're moving to spanking new offices in Brooklyn. On today's show, Trump's misogyny. Of course, everyone knows Donald Trump is a misogynist. What's interesting is what kind of misogynist Donald Trump is and how it goes to the core of his identity. But first... I am here with Jordan Weissman and Felix Salmon, my colleagues from the Slate Money podcast, and also fellow wine lovers. And we are going to taste some Trump wine today. Uh, Trump wine is now so popular that although apparently he makes uh, eight different kinds, including uh, well-regarded champagne, um, the only stuff left that Henry Malofsky, our producer, was able to get at a New York liquor store was Trump Chardonnay. I, I have I have mixed feelings about Trump wine because Trump's vineyard used to be... Uh-oh, that's no, never a good sign. The cork right? has that, split. That's not good. Um, this, this says quality's decline. But so it used to be a vineyard called uh, Kluge Estates, and it was owned by this woman, Patricia Kluge, who was a divorcee who had once been married to who was the richest man in the world, guy John Kluge. And it was her mission to kind of make Virginia wine a thing. And so she bought this. It's an absolutely beautiful vineyard in the Blue Ridge Mountains and made a, a credible product. And the champagne itself was actually at a, the Clinton wedding. But Chelsea Clinton like had it at her, I think, her rehearsal dinner or something. And I always thought it was pretty decent. We have these very nice glasses that it looks like somebody said stole from the Acela. <laughs> and they have Am- the Amtrak logo on them. So, so, so far, I can see Jacob pouring this wine into tumblers. It has, I mean, it looks... Like white wine. All right. I'm going to read the back of the bottle. Tell us what the label says. Tucked into the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, where Thomas Jefferson first had a vision to make America's finest wines, this classic Chardonnay shows elegance, finesse, and the complexity of a terroir rich in history and tradition. It, it doesn't sound very Trumpy. I mean, he didn't, we've already read the whole label and he hasn't called it fabulous. <laughs> this is the greatest wine. Oh, by the way, he also bought this out of bankruptcy. That's the, that's the key thing. Here. Was that's, this a distressed debt play? I think it might have been. <laughs> he, bought, he bought this. Uh, the, Ma- the, Mara uh, Wino. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, oh, God. <laughs> On that note, should we, should we try so, it? Okay, so, wait, so first yeah, of all, we, we sniff this yeah, thing. Yeah, let's put our noses in. That's not encouraging. Yeah, I can't. I can't say I'm. In, I'm enthused yet. No, this is yeah. not. That's that's nothing overpowering. All right, shall we taste it? Let's taste. Let's taste it. I feel like I had this on an airplane. Yeah, once. it's not. That's not good. <laughs> I'm. I'm getting. Um, I would say uh, some uh, floral notes, um, spray tan, and um, putting green. But <laughs> it's like it, it's like bad oak. I can't. That's like the way it's coming. It's like oak, but not good oak. You know. You know. You know how people talk about. Oh my god, that wine has so much length. It doesn't have length. It just has an aftertaste. Yeah. So what, do, has anyone managed to find any elegance, finesse, or complexity in this wine? 
because I've been looking, and frankly... <laughs> well, clearly, you know, the, the, the issue here is the gap between the wine's opinion of itself and the reality of the wine. Ah, uh, I see what you did there, Jacob. <laughs> on that note, I, I think I'm ready to go take a nap on a tanning bed, so <laughs> if you guys excuse me. <laughs> I'm just trying to think if, if it would be better if you were drinking it with a Trump steak. And, and the answer to that is, frankly, no. It really wouldn't. Like, even the Trump steak wouldn't improve it. All right. Well, um, uh, Jordan, Felix, thank you for joining me. And I just want to propose a toast to Donald Trump becoming a full-time winemaker. Yes. We should all be so lucky. Cheers. 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 I'm joined now by Christina Catarucci. Christina is a writer here at Slate. Hey, Christina, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Frank Four, our colleague, wrote a fantastic piece in Slate yesterday about Donald Trump's misogyny, and he kind of went through the whole catalog. But at the risk of, of stating the obvious, why do we think Donald Trump is a misogynist? Well, as Frank wrote this week and as we at X have been writing for the better part of a year, Donald Trump's been saying and doing misogynist stuff his whole life. It's the way he sees the world. It's the way he exists in the world. It's the way he exerts power over women and men. The list of offensive things he said about women could fill a book. So, Christina, what struck you in Frank's piece as the most shocking detail? Where to begin? I didn't know that Donald Trump had almost run a reality show where he tried to reform party girls and, right, you know... That was amazing. Yeah, sexually adventurous women into proper, you know, thoroughly shamed and repressed ideal Trump women. So the idea there, it was like, I'm going to take that Paris Hilton and get her to stop slutting around and, and teach <laughs> her some proper manners. And that was like the idea for this reality show he was pitching, right? right? And of course, Donald Trump is the person to do that. <laughs> uh, the only amazing thing was that no network bought it. I know. I think it would have been a hit. I mean, and I think <laughs> had it run, he, his claim to the presidency would have been even closer. So his, his ex-wife, Ivana also once alleged that she was raped by Donald Trump, right? Right. She said that he'd come home from having a surgery. She had recommended the doctor. He blamed her for his pain and attacked her and forced himself on her. Um, she said she felt violated, that it was violent. She told her friends that she was raped. The allegation came out in a book, and Trump's folks had her write an addendum uh, saying that she that rape was not quite the right word, but that it was still violent and she didn't like it. So I'm I would still call that rape, but I'll you know. She didn't really take it back. She said I didn't necessarily mean legal rape, and of course it's very hard to ever convict of someone of of ra marital rape. But she said it felt like rape to me. Right. It, if it feels like rape, it seems like it was probably rape. Doesn't Donald Trump just echo the sort of sexism of, of an older generation, you know, commenting on women's appearance, saying, you know, focusing on women as object, sex objects. I mean, he sounds a lot like a lot of other, other old guys in his line of work from his era. Oh, yeah, I, that's completely true. The fact that he talks about women almost exclusively based on their looks is demeaning to women. That's not the way that a president should think about one half of the population and hopefully a good portion of his staff. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with being 
attracted to women, but the fact that he talks about that so much over-sexualizes women in situations where women don't need to be sexualized, like when he's talking about a reporter who's interviewing him or when he's talking about his own daughter. You know, there are plenty of other ways he could talk about women that have nothing to do with their looks. And coming from somebody who's trying to be president, talking about sex and his genitals as much as he does, um, doesn't bode well for how he might interact with other heads of state or people in the government. Talking about his daughter being hot was actually creepy. It was one oh, of the creepier moments of the nauseating. campaign. So the, there's been uh, weird, uh, also kind of creepy stuff going on, on on Twitter and in the campaign with Trump and his wife, Melania, and uh, Ted Cruz and his wife, Heidi. Can you Have you been following that? Can you explain what's been going on? So it all started when a Republican strategist who runs an anti-Trump super PAC called Make America Awesome Again ran an ad on Facebook and Instagram that showed a picture of Melania from a shoot she did with British GQ back when she was, you know, a full-time model. And she was nude in the photo, covered up, but still nude. Some fur. There was some fur discreetly uh, kind of arrayed around her. There were some jewels involved. And the text on the photo said something like, meet your next first lady, or you could vote for Ted Cruz. It was all trying to get folks in Utah and Arizona to choose Cruz over Trump. So Donald Trump came out and blamed Ted Cruz for putting out the ad, even though Cruz has never said that he was behind the ad. Another super PAC, none related to Cruz, put out the ad. So Donald Trump said, you know, lion Ted Cruz, stop taking jabs at my wife, or I'll spill the beans on your wife. Ted Cruz came back and said, how dare you attack my wife? When you attack my wife, you attack my children. And now this has been something that he's been plugging at each event since the incident happened earlier this week. So he's getting a lot of mileage out of it. And then Trump hit him again, right? With the, He had this thing yep. where he put the picture of Melania next to Heidi Cruz, and it was a very attractive picture of, of Melania and not a very attractive picture of Heidi Cruz. Right. So this was a, he retweeted somebody else who made another meme and said, you know, these pictures are worth a thousand words, implying that Ted Cruz's wife was so ugly while Trump's wife was so attractive. And for that reason, Trump should be president because he can attract the hotter wife. Can I just stop? How is this even happening, Christina? I mean, this is, if this were like, you know, two football players or boxers going at each other on ESPN, yeah, this we would is the question. say that's shocking and beneath them. I've been asking myself this uh, for the extent of the campaign and especially in the past week. I think it won't hurt Trump because he's already said and done so many absurd, offensive things, both against women, against Muslims, against immigrants, against Mexican-Americans, that if he hasn't already been shunned from the public eye because of all the other stuff he's done, I can't imagine this will do it. And I think that that's part of his appeal. People everywhere are saying that they like Trump because he says what he thinks. He doesn't back down from people. He's a bully, and people want to be on the bully's side. And that includes inevitably a lot of women, right? What kind of women are supporting Donald Trump with all of this misogyny so clearly evident? I think that there are definitely, you know, first of all, internalized misogyny is a thing. Women aren't immune from 
the misogynist rhetoric that Trump is espousing. It's about power for a lot of people that include women. Women like to see that Trump is strong. I think sometimes women don't mind when men objectify women. There are plenty of women who disagree with me on the idea that it's unbecoming of a presidential candidate to objectify women in that way. Um, And for somebody who doesn't think that or who might think that feminists are ruining America, that uh, men and women should have traditional roles and that, you know, men should be red-blooded men like the football players and the boxers you were just talking about, that it's exciting to have a virile and sexually sexually attractive, if you could call Trump that, <laughs> president. Uh, I think I it's hard for me to put myself in the shoes of a woman who would support him, but I, it's not completely surprising that there are still some people who buy what he's selling. And as a, f- a feminist, when you see Trump doing this stuff, do you think there is the real male id with no filter? A lot of people think that, but nobody else has the bad taste to, few other people have the bad taste to express it. Or do you think this guy is really an outlier and a primitive among men? I think the fact that he's been so successful proves that a lot of people share his views and would probably say the same things if given the platform. And if they didn't think that there would be such pushback, I see it on Twitter all the time. It's one thing to see it on Twitter from people. I think Twitter is the the male id for a lot of people. And the way that people can sort of say what they think without any recourse, it's different to hear it coming from a presidential candidate and somebody with such an enormous global platform. Um, but yeah, I, th- or I think that there are plenty of men out there, presidential candidates included, who feel the same way that Trump does. And you know, don't say it because they care about what people think of them. So if the general election matchup is Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton, the first woman nominee to run for president, how does this play out? I mean, does he just tone it down? I mean, how does he, do you think he's going to be as open in his expression of misogyny when he's running against a woman in the general election, assuming that happens? I think it will be infinitely worse because His attacks against Hillary Clinton are already so gendered, so misogynist. And the way the public or the way a lot of public figures have addressed Hillary Clinton have also been in slightly more coded misogynist and gendered ways. And Trump being who he is, his misogyny increasing in the public eye the way it has, um, I think that's going to be the only way he knows how to deal with her. He doesn't respect women as politicians, as career people, as anything other than sex objects. So I don't think it will occur to him to interact with her in any other way. And how does he code his misogyny in reference to Hillary Clinton? Where do you hear it? Well, he said that she got schlonged by Barack Obama. (laughs) Um, That's not too coded. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think the Trump doesn't feel as much of a need to code his misogyny as, say, some pundits do when they tell her to stop shouting or that, you know, she should smile more. That kind of stuff is you can see the misogyny in there or at least the the gendered stereotypes in there. With Trump, you don't have to look too hard. Uh, Christina, thanks for joining me today on Trumpcast. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. Tell us what you think of the show by giving us a rating and review on iTunes. 
don't forget to hit subscribe so you get every episode as soon as we release it. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob Wee. Trumpcast is produced by Henry Malofsky and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. And today, I'll leave you with a clip from Comedy Central at Midnight future debate between Senator Sanders and Donald Trump, where Trump is asked to defend ghost diversity. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening. Comment on ghost diversity. First off, I'll say something very, very important about ghosts, okay? They wear white sheets. They wear white sheets. We don't know what's underneath them. We don't know what's underneath them. Much like a great company that supports me, an incredible energy company that supports me called Triple K. Incredible energy company. There's this British guy. He's a duke. His name is David. And he tells me about this new, this incredible new alternate energy called white power. Unbelievable. And apparently, apparently, white power has been running this country for 350 years. I had no idea.